I'm glad you're here with us the morning, this morning, and for those of you joining us online, I'm Pastor Mark, and we're glad to have you with us in spirit on this snowy day. The last two weeks, I shared nine approaches to reading God's Word, to prepare your heart and your minds to hear from God. We want this to be a church where God's Word is the foundation, and we want to be a place where we're encouraging each other in and through the Word. Today I'm going to share another list with you. It's not going to take two weeks. It's a shorter list. It is six pledges, six commitments for church members. And it's perfectly fitting because today we have our intro class, which is a step in joining our church, learning more about it. This is going to be familiar to all of our newer members because you received this book when you came to the class. How many of you have this book at home and have read it, hopefully, too. If you come to the class today, you'll get a copy of the book. But today, I just wanted to review those with you again, because it's the beginning of a new year. We want to talk about what it means to be a healthy church member. The author is Tom Rayner, and he was doing some studies and churches, and a trend that he saw, many members in many churches were looking at their church like a country club, where their membership meant that they had certain privileges, they had certain perks to being a member. And they looked for churches based on their needs and based on people who looked just like them. They wanted to be a church where they felt like the other members were as good as they were. And then they expected the pastors and the churches to cater to them, to cater to their needs. The biblical model for a church is very different from that. Church is a place where you come to serve others, to care for others, to pray for each other, to learn, to teach, to give of yourselves. Church is a place to put yourself second and look out for the needs of others first. Our application for church membership, if you've filled that out recently, includes these six commitments because we want active, healthy church members. We want people who want to love God, want to love each other, and want to love our community. And that's printed in different words behind me. What is our mission statement? Can you read it? Great. For those who are listening online, you can see it behind me. It's worship God, grow spiritually, and share the gospel. I hope that by the end of this message, you will know what it means to be a healthy member. You'll be able to see that you can experience the joy of serving others, and you'll know the sacredness, the privilege, the opportunities, and the obligations of being a church member. So before we dive into those six, very quickly, I just want to share with you what the Bible says a church is. It's an organized body of baptized believers, equal in rank and privilege. It's not just anybody or everybody that shows up. You're not automatically a member because you were here three times. It's a commitment to us, and it's a commitment from us to you. It's people united in the belief of what Jesus taught. There's a commitment to know, to believe, to follow what the Bible says, to follow Jesus' teaching. It's covenanting together to do what he commanded. We are encouraging each other to obey, to follow Jesus faithfully. And then it's cooperating with other like churches or people in kingdom ministry. We recognize that not every church that has a cross on their steeple is striving to really follow God's word. So we need to be discerning about churches, about missionaries, even about ministries that we choose to cooperate with. We want to make sure that we're cooperating with other Bible following ministries. So as we start off, let me read for you Romans 6, 3 to 7. I can't remember what I have in my notes on the screen and what I don't. Is it there, Holly? Okay, so you can follow along on the screen. Obviously, you can follow along in your Bible too. Romans 6, 3 to 7. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, 
in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. This is a passage that I often share at baptism time, and you'll hear it again at the end of the month. When we are baptized, we're recognizing that Christ died for our sins, that he was buried, and that he rose again. And that's the symbol we're following in baptism. So our members, according to the book of Acts, the believers heard the gospel. They responded in confession of their sins and belief in Jesus Christ. And it says, then they were baptized and then added to the church. So our first commitment, our first pledge is to be a functioning member. Function means to operate in a proper way, to fulfill a purpose or a task required. If something has a function, it has a specific purpose. And if you're a functioning member, then you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. Ephesians 4, 12 to 16. I'm going to have a lot of little Bible verses along the way just so that you know that I'm not just making this stuff up. Ephesians 4, 12 to 16. Just before it, in verse 11, it says that he gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, and shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. That's the church. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning and craftiness and deceitful skins, rather, schemes, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when every part is working properly, functioning, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. We are all necessary parts of the whole body. And the Bible says we are different from each other. We have different spiritual gifts and abilities. And God has given to each church pastors and evangelists Shepherds, teachers, to equip the saints to do the work together. The body cannot function properly if its parts are not functioning together. You know that in your own body, that if you have a toothache or a sore toe, that you have a hard time doing a lot of other things that have nothing to do with your tooth or your toe. That just overwhelms and consumes your thoughts, and it makes you not function properly. So in the church, if there is weakness, if there is sickness, if there's spiritual struggles with one part of the body, then the whole body is going to be affected by that. In 1 Corinthians 12 and 13, the Apostle Paul talks about a variety of ministries and services that each member of the body is meant to perform. And then he reminds them that they're empowered by God. These are not just your hobbies. They're not just skills that you've picked up a long way. They are spiritual gifts that you are meant to serve in the church, to serve the community. They're given by the Holy Spirit. And then as we move from chapter 12 into 13, Paul reminds us that all of these things have to be done in love. All of these ministries, all of these acts of service have to have their source in love for each other, love for others in the community. A functioning church member needs to give of themselves abundantly without qualification and serve lovingly without hesitation. I really struggle and I hesitate to ask people to do something specific. I would much rather put out a plea on Facebook or during announcements and say, hey, we need somebody to help with this. Because I feel sometimes, as pastor, if I ask you to do something, you might feel guilty like you have to do it. Scripture says we're supposed to serve lovingly and without hesitation. So when you hear about a need, jump in and say, hey, I'd love to help with that. So we're going to have six pledges, 
and we're going to have these up on the screen. If you're a member and you want to say them along with me, you can. If you haven't joined yet or you struggle with some of these pledges, then you don't have to say them. But the first pledge, I must be a functioning member. I will find where I fit in the body. I will love and care for other members. I will give abundantly without qualification. I will serve without hesitation. So that's our first pledge, to be a functioning member. Secondly, I will be a unifying church member. In John 13.35, Jesus said, People will know you're my disciples. They'll know that you're a follower of me because they see your love for each other. Your love for each other in the church is an example to those outside the church. It's an example to other believers in other churches. They're going to say, this person loves Jesus because I can see how much they love others in the church. It's not because there are big church buildings. It's not because we have a great soup kitchen or an impressive worship team. People, outsiders, unbelievers are going to know that you're serious about your love for Jesus because you love and follow each other well. You care for each other. Jesus said, I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other like I love you. And how much did Jesus love us? He loved us sacrificially. It says he loved us more than anyone else because he was willing to give up his own life for us. He loves us completely. He loves us patiently. He loves us kindly, unconditionally, sacrificially, humbly, joyfully, mercifully, graciously, forgivingly. I made that one up. That's not a real word. Can you think of more ways to love each other, to think about Jesus' love for you and show that to other members? Why? Because Jesus is the one that unifies us. If you look around the room, you'll see that not everybody is just like you. We don't naturally know each other or care about each other in the community, but when we come here, we realize these are people who love Jesus. We have something in common. We want to serve him. We want to obey him. We want to give our all for him. So these are people I can love. These are people I can care for. The Ephesians 4 passage that I read before says, be eager to maintain the unity in peace. There's one body and one spirit that you're called to. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. Your responsibility, your command from Jesus, your marching orders are to be a source of unity, not a causer of strife or division. And that doesn't mean that you're going to agree with everything everybody else says. doesn't mean that if you think something is biblically wrong that you shouldn't raise your hand or say, hey, is this right? Can we talk about the source of this? Is this the right thing to do? But when you do speak, you should be speaking from a position of promoting unity, not promoting division, not trying to put someone personally down, discredit them, say this is an awful person because they suggested this. How can we bring this person along to a biblical position? Paul said in Colossians 3.14, Above all, put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony. That makes me think of the Coke song from the 70s. I'd like to teach the world to sing in perfect harmony. I won't sing it for you, but if you have a Coke, it's going to all be better. Sorry. This message is not brought to you from Coca-Cola. It's brought to you from the Word of God. So love is the key to unity. Do you remember COVID a couple years ago? It not only caused our country and our world and our communities to be divided, but there were churches that split over this. So as a pastor and as church leaders, we prayed and we pled to God that we would maintain unity in our church. And while every choice that we made may not have been your favorite choice or your preference, we didn't lose people, and in fact, we grew as a result. 
of people saying, hey, we need to be in a place where we can worship God together. We honored our unity. We put others ahead of ourselves and sometimes our preferences. We strove for unity in the decisions that we were making. And that's something that individually we need to do. When there's something you don't like, when there's something that you think could be done better, how can you go about making an improvement and preserving unity? Instead of saying, well, I can do that, and just jumping in and pushing somebody else aside, say, is there a way I could encourage and help this person do something in a better way? Keeping unity also means killing gossip. How's that for a strong word? Killing gossip. Don't start it. Don't repeat it. If you see something questionable about a fellow church member or about somebody on social media, I would encourage you, before you click share, before you respond to it, to contact that person, find out who the source of this information is, and verbally, with your mouth, actually talk, not with your thumbs, talk to that person and find out what's going on. And then maybe even talk to the person that it's written about and see what's going on. Don't simply repeat it. Don't start a fight online. Find out the truth and then work for unity. Work for restoration instead of allowing gossip to ruin that person's testimony, your testimony, the testimony of the church, and ultimately the testimony of Jesus Christ. One of the biggest complaints that people have about Christians is, you're a bunch of hypocrites. We say one thing and we do another. We say we love each other and then we trash talk each other online. So when you are online, even when you're in a group, if you hear gossip, kill it and then work for unity. Keeping unity means forgiving like God in Christ Jesus forgave you. According to Jesus, there is no limit to how many times you forgive someone. There's no record keeping of offenses or wrongs. It's wiping the slate clean every time. And if you don't know what a slate is, listen to last week's message where I explained it for our young people. Look to the person to your left. Look to the person to your right. He or she is a sinner. Guess what? You were in that left and right looking too, right? Look at yourself. Look at the person on the pulpit. He's a sinner too. Every local church is made up of imperfect members, imperfect people, imperfect leaders, imperfect pastors. But we're striving to obey and bring glory to God. But we all fail. So be ready to forgive. Be ready to show mercy just as you want others to show you mercy. Our second pledge as we talk about the unity, I will seek to be a source of unity in my church. Say it along with me if you can. I know there are no perfect pastors, staff, or other church members. I admit that I am not perfect. I will not be a source of gossip or dissension. I will do all I can to keep, help keep the unity of the church for the sake of the gospel. Amen. Thirdly, I will not let church be about my preferences and my desires. There's a couple of verse, verses that I want to mention. First of all, Jesus said, even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, to give his life as a ransom for many. If there was anyone ever who walked the face of the earth who could say, just do things my way, it was Jesus, because he's God. He always had the right choice. He always had the right thing to say, the right thing to do. But he said, I've come to serve others. You're more important to me than I am to myself. The word servant appears 57 times in the New Testament, 57. And the verb to serve appears 58 times. Being a disciple of Jesus Christ being a member of a church is all about serving. The Apostle Paul said in Ephesians 3.7, Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. The word minister is often translated 
servant. So as you think about a minister or a pastor, I'm a servant. I'm a servant of the Lord. I'm a servant for the gospel. We will never find joy. We will not grow. We won't help the church if our members individually are all focused on themselves, on their own rights, their own preferences. And in the case of the country club mentality, your own privileges. Well, I'm a member. I can do this and that. And I have a right to this. I have a right to that. I was here years before you. So this is my spot. Don't mess with me. We need to be focusing instead on serving others. This verse from Paul in Philippians 2 is always convicting to me. Let each of you look not on your own interests, but to the interests of others. We are all naturally self-centered. We're self-serving. But only through the life-changing, heart-changing work of the Holy Spirit can we put others first. So if you're having a hard time doing it, it's not just gritting your teeth and saying, yeah, I'm going to ignore what I want and just be kind to others. It's asking the Holy Spirit to work in and through you. Asking God's love to flow through you, his mercy and his grace. So very quickly, here's a list. You're not going to be able to write these down, but they could be on the website. Here's 10 things from one of Tom Rainer's surveys. Things that caused churches to quickly shrink and head towards closing their doors because they had an inward focus. There were worship wars over what decade and who was singing and how it was being sung. There were prolonged meetings of minutia, sitting on a committee and just talking people to death. There was a focus just on facilities rather than people. They were driven by the programs that were going on instead of what's effective in reaching people. There was an inwardly focused budget on themselves instead of reaching out. There were inordinate demands for pastoral care instead of letting someone else serve you and care for you. There were attitudes of entitlement there are greater concerns about change than concern for the gospel. There was anger and hostility and an evangelistic apathy. The verse or the passage in Philippians 2 that I mentioned earlier, Paul said, make your attitude like Jesus, who didn't take advantage of his equality with God. He emptied himself and he became a slave. He humbled himself and he obeyed God even when that meant dying unjustly on a cross for sins he never committed. That's probably one of the things that we struggle with the most is being unjustly accused of something that we haven't done. We're so quick to jump up and defend ourselves and say, no, that's not how it went. That wasn't me. And Jesus took all of our sins on himself, paid for them because of his love for us, because he humbled himself. It wasn't about his preferences, his desires. It was about the will of the Father, which was offering you and I salvation when we didn't deserve it. So our third pledge, I will not let church be about my preferences, my desires. I'm a member in this church to serve others and to serve Christ. My Savior went to a cross for me. I can deal with any inconveniences and matters that just aren't my preference or style. I didn't put numbers on here. What number are we up to? Four, maybe? Is it four? Okay. I will pray for my church leaders. Paul asked the churches numerous times as he opened his letters for the church to pray for him, to pray for other church leaders so that their ministry would be effective, that they'd have opportunities to share the gospel, and they would have the courage to speak when they should. We need prayer. Romans 15.30, Paul said, I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ, by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me 
in your prayers to God on my behalf. Paul wasn't scared of asking for prayer. Help me. Help me be effective in ministry. Please pray to God on my behalf. As your pastor, as your shepherd, you are all on my heart. You're on my mind. You're in my prayers. Hebrews 13, 7 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls. As those who will have to give an account, let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Here are some specific things that you can pray for me, for our deacons, for our other ministry leaders. Pray for our preaching and our teaching. As I'm standing up here and you're feeling tired because you had to shovel your walk first or you had a a late night at work or a late night with kids or puppies or whatever it is that you're tired, if you are starting to get tired and you feel like I'm not interesting to listen to, Pray that the Spirit would keep me interesting. Pray that the Spirit would be bold in my preaching. Pray for me. The same thing goes for your Sunday school teachers, for those leading a class. Pray for them. Pray for the marriages and families in our church, not only your own, but others. Pray for the marriages and families of your church leadership because that ends a pastor's ministry. If his family falls apart, his marriage falls apart, that's usually the end of a pastor. And there are many that have had to step down from ministry because they're at fault. Pray for protection, for reputation, for staying above fault. Pray for self-control and humility. It's really difficult being a leader and not saying, I think this is what we should do. I always want to say it humbly, but I feel like I should say this is what we should do. Pray for humility. Pray for physical, mental and spiritual health. And so our fourth pledge, these words are getting smaller, sorry. I will pray for my pastor every day. Let's hear that one. Will you do it? I will pray for my pastor every day. Thank you. I understand that the pastor's work is never ending. His days are filled with demands that bring emotional highs and lows. He must often deal with critics. He must be a good husband and father. I will pray for their strength and wisdom daily, not just for me, but for our deacons and our leaders as well. All right, this is hopefully number five. I will lead my family to be healthy church members. That's what we're aiming for. We're not just aiming for lots of church members because I get magazines, I get posts on social media, I get all kinds of things. This is how you get lots of people through your doors and lots of people to stay in your church. Just do these things. Three things, four things, five things, and subscribe and pay for our ministry to help you get more people. That's not what we're about at First Baptist Church. We're about sharing the gospel with our community, seeing people get saved, seeing people baptized, joining the church membership, and then growing and serving. It's not just about having a lot of people who are giving to a budget. It's about people who are growing about people who are loving each other, caring for each other, discipling each other. That's what gets me excited. And that list of 10 things that churches who are dying and closing their doors are doing don't represent our church. I'm so thankful for that. We do have an evangelistic outreach. We, do have, we don't have apathy. We see, I see you bringing your friends and your family members to church, and I see you caring about our budget being outwards and sharing the gospel, and I don't see you fighting with each other. Those are all good things that we need to keep fighting for, striving for that unity as a church. We want healthy church members, not just a list of people's names so that we can say we have 100 members. I would rather say we have 50 healthy serving members than say, I've got a hundred names on a list, but most of them don't show up. Most of them aren't serving. Most of them are not involved with each other. I'm more excited about seeing you growing deeper in your faith with Jesus and deeper in your relationship and encouragement with each other. The Bible has a lot to say about how physical human families should be structured 
particularly in Ephesians 5.22 and on through the beginning of chapter 6 and 4, it talks about the husband, the leader of the family, having a responsibility before God. Just like a pastor is accountable for the people in his church, a husband is responsible for his family, making sure that it's a good spiritual environment in the home. The Apostle Paul says he needs to protect the purity, the honor of his wife. He needs to be a discipler of his children. While we have a Sunday school and we have Bible studies, we have all of those things, husbands, fathers, you are responsible for the spiritual growth of your family, that you are bringing them regularly. You're getting them involved in the church. He's also called You are also called, I'm also called, to love my wife unconditionally and sacrificially with Jesus as my example, the way he loves us as a church. And wives, according to this passage, are to respectfully submit to her husband as the church does to Jesus our head. That is our example. The family, the husband, the wife, and the children are our example for the way a church should function. So as a church member, I'm responsible to encourage, to lead my family to worship, to grow, and to share together in the church. If you have an unbelieving spouse, the Bible even addresses that, saying you now have an opportunity to show the love of Christ and to be a godly testimony to your family. Don't give up because of that. Keep loving your spouse and don't keep bugging them about not being in church. Just let your Love for them, let your love for others, let your example be a shining testimony for husbands and wives. And if you're here on your own, that doesn't discount you from any of those things because you still have a family, you still have grandkids and others that you could be encouraging to be healthy church members. And I'm so glad this, for those of you that bring grandkids and bring others in your family. Thank you for your faithfulness in doing that. We're not just supposed to like our church, or just serve or do some work in our church, we're called to deeply fall in love with our church. Do you love your brothers and sisters? If you had human brothers and sisters, they may have annoyed you. You may have had younger brothers or sisters who pestered you, and you were annoyed by them at times, but you knew that you always still loved them. And hopefully, if something came up, you were there to stand up for them. And if they got hurt, you were still there to help pick them up and bandage them, even if at times they annoyed you. Jesus said, love each other, care for each other, just like you would care for those in your family. Does your family know that church is the top priority? There's a few less people and a few less toes to step on this morning. But does your faith and your church, your relationship with Jesus and your need to be with other believers come before sports? Does it come before your clubs? Does it come before sleeping in? Does it come before coffee or anything else? That's what Christ is calling us to, love each other and make a commitment to each other to be in the church. And yes, there's going to be family vacations, there are going to be things that come up, there's going to be snowy conditions that might keep you from being here. But does your family know that if anything else happened, that this is the most important thing, to be here as a church family? So here, is, here are some ways that they would know that. Your family is regularly at church to worship and to hear God's word. You're all attending a Sunday school class so that you're growing spiritually. You're going to a growth group together so that you can grow in your faith and fellowship. A number of our growth group kids come along, and that's great. We have a growth group at our home tonight, and if you haven't met Pepper, the newest member of our family, you can come meet her tonight. She's our puppy. Growth group at our house tonight, Tuesday at the Pilgrims, Thursday at the Joneses. So try out a growth group. Are you serving somewhere in the church to share your spiritual gifts? And not just you, but your kids too. They have gifts from the Holy Spirit if they've been saved, and they have ways that they can serve. If you 
come to church and you feel like everybody's got a spot and I don't know what to do, then come talk to me. Talk to Sarah, our church secretary, and say, what could I do? Is there anything that you need help with? That's a great question. Not that we're going to burden you with a bunch of things, but I love seeing people serve because I know that when you do that, you're going to get connected with other believers and you're going to find joy in serving others. So our last one is that you are inviting others to come with you. Even if they don't come, your kids, your family knows that you're constantly talking to neighbors, that you're talking to coworkers, you're talking to family members, encouraging them to come with you. So our fifth pledge about being a healthy member, I will lead my family to be good, healthy members of this church. We will pray together for our church. We will worship together in our church. We will serve together in our church. And we will ask Christ to help us fall deeper in love with this church. And I'm not talking about the structure. I'm talking about the people in it. Our last one is, I will treasure church membership as a gift. And this goes back to that country club idea. Instead of it being a right and a privilege, it's a gift. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. We start out with our salvation being a gift from God. We don't work for it. We don't earn it. It's not a right or a privilege, but it's something that God offered to you. And if you've confessed your sin and you've proclaimed Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you've received that gift. 1 Corinthians 12.27 says, Now, after you're saved, you are, a, you are the body of Christ, and individually, you're members of it. In addition to receiving salvation as a gift, we receive the church as a gift. Being members in the body of Christ is not about a legal obligation to give or to serve or to punch a time card. It's a gift that you should treasure with joy and anticipation. Just as we respond to God's invitation to salvation, to love, to worship, to obey Him, we should also appreciate the church that he's given us so that we would want to serve and we would want to enjoy it. Being a healthy church member means you are serving others and you're sharing your life with them. Jesus told the disciples that the best way to be a great Christian was not about putting yourself first, not making sure that your name was on a brass plaque and that you were recognized somewhere, but it was about putting yourself last. If you want to be great in the kingdom, be the last in the kingdom. Be the one who's serving everybody else. And Christ said, in heaven, you will be honored. Here on earth, you might not be, but God is going to honor your ministry and your service to him. In Matthew 20, 26 to 28, that's where we hear Christ saying that. It shall not be so among you. He's talking to his disciples. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Do you want to be the best church member you can be? It's all about loving and serving others. Treasuring them and treasuring the church as gifts from God. Some of these gifts are going to encourage you and help you. And other gifts may help you learn patience. They may help you learn humility. They may help you learn selflessness. So as you think about the church members that are around you and that are with you, some of them you may joyfully say, I'm so happy to see this person. And other people, you may be less happy. But think about how God is using that person in your life to help you recognize it's about me serving. It's about me learning humility. It's about me reaching out of my comfort zone and loving someone who is different from me. 
maybe different political views, maybe different social views, maybe a different background completely. Can you love that person the way Jesus loves you? Your membership at First Baptist Church or any other church is not about what you're entitled to. It's about how much you can be thankful for and how much you can appreciate the gift that has been given to you by God, the gift of the church. Hebrews 10, 24 to 25 says, Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as it is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. This was written in the first century, just years after Jesus went to heaven and the church started and Paul, or the writer of Hebrews, if it's not Paul, said, don't neglect to meet together, as is the habit of some. There were already some people who were saying, I'm just going to stay in on Sunday morning. I'll see these people later. I'll see them some other time. Paul said, no, don't do that. Get together to worship. Get together to pray. Get together to learn, to fellowship with each other, and figure out how you can encourage, how you can stir somebody up to serve alongside you. And then Ephesians 4, 11 and 12 I may have read those already. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists and shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So here are the benefits of this gift. God gave you the church as a family to belong to. We're without family in Western New York. Our nearest family is five and a half hours away in one direction and six hours in another direction. You are our family, and God's given us that gift. You belong to this family. You're given pastors and leaders who care for your soul. You'll be equipped for the ministry. You'll be built up in Christ. You'll find unity in the faith and a greater knowledge of Jesus, the Son of God and you will be maturing spiritually. Those are all gifts that God gives us in the church. So our sixth and final pledge, church membership is a gift. When I received the free gift of salvation through Jesus Christ, I became a part of the body of Christ, the church. I soon thereafter identified with a local body and was baptized. And now... I don't know if this is on the next slide. Yep. I am humbled and honored to serve and to love others in our church. I pray that I will never take my membership for granted, but see it as a gift and an opportunity to serve others, to be part of something so much greater than any one person or member. One of my favorite verses in the book of Acts is the unbelieving world, the the Roman leaders and others saying, we don't know what's going on with these Christians, but they've turned the world upside down. The love of Jesus Christ in the church and spreading out to their communities turned the world upside down. If you watch the news, you might think that our world is currently upside down. And guess what? It needs to be flipped over and turned the right upside down way. That's not going to happen through the perfect president or through just the right people in the United Nations or through any other group of unbelievers coming together. The way that our world can be made right is through the church, fulfilling our ministry, making disciples, baptizing them, going to the ends of the earth to teach people what Jesus said and then see people as new believers learning to obey him. If you're a part of this local church, you're part of the global church, and that's the greatest mission of all, to change the world. So our takeaways this morning, if you want to jot down a couple of things. The biggest question is, have you received the gift of salvation? None of this church membership stuff matters if you haven't received Jesus Christ as your Savior. When it comes to forgiveness, when it comes to peace with God, redemption, adoption into God's family, the Holy Spirit's help, guidance, eternal life, all of that has to come before church membership. You need to be sure of your salvation above all other matters. 
So if you're here this morning and that's still a fuzzy thing, it's still a little shaky for you, come talk to me today. If you're watching online, you can contact me through the church office. There's email and other ways that we can connect and hopefully sit down and talk about how you can know for sure that you have salvation. The Bible says once you've been adopted into the family, when you've confessed your sins and proclaimed Jesus as your Savior, you will be sealed by the Holy Spirit. Your eternal life is guaranteed and waiting for you. Those are promises from God. And it's very clear how we can have those promises and hold on to them. The second question is, have you recognized the gift that God has given you in the church? Becoming a follower of Jesus Christ means that you're part of this global body, this big church. But then he says, find other believers locally. Be part of a local membership. I hope some of you have had the experience of being on a plane, a train, or an automobile, maybe even a taxi. And you started talking to a complete stranger. And after just talking a short time, you recognize the Holy Spirit in this person. And somewhere along the line, you mentioned church or your faith, and you're saved too? How long have you been a a follower? That is an amazing feeling, to meet a total stranger and know that you have something in common, your faith in Jesus Christ. And you feel like you've known this person forever. That's what it's like coming into the church family. And it is so super cool. It's even better than meeting Josh Allen or Dawson Knox in the airport. Meeting another believer in a far-off place and saying, you're my brother, you're my sister, and you could just fall in to conversation with this person because you have common ground. That's one of the joys of being in a church. And I hope you've recognized it, and if you haven't, I hope you will join and find that. So have you found a local church to call your home? I know of several in the area that I could recommend to you. No, this is the place that you should be. I can say that very easily because we love you, we love God's word, we love our Savior, and we would love you to be part of this church family. Attending is great, but belonging is so much greater. Church membership is making these covenant commitments to a group of other believers and saying, we have unity in the faith, we have unity in Jesus Christ, we have a mission to accomplish together. And you agree to be a functioning member, to be unifying, to put others first, to pray for your leaders, to lead your family, to be healthy members, and you treasure your membership as a gift. If that's something you're ready for, there's still probably room in our class today. I know there's a couple people that didn't make it this morning, but we'd love to have you stay. It's going to start at 11. We're going to have lunch together, and we're going to wrap up around 1 o'clock. And that is really the first step if you haven't uh, been, if you haven't been, intro, uh, I don't know what I'm saying right now. Hang on. It's the first step towards membership. You come to the intro class, learn about our church, and then fill out the application after that. Sorry. The next question was, as we read those pledges, could you honestly make those pledges and seek to follow them? We take membership at our church very seriously. Be- because we think it's vitally important for the health of our church. So if you've been attending regularly, we love having you here. But you haven't officially said, I'd like to be part of this family. It's kind of like dating for years and years and then never getting married. So say I do and join the church. Are you functioning and serving somewhere in the church? Do you seek to maintain unity and work for peaceful resolutions Or is it my way or the highway? Have you been focusing on your own preferences and things either staying the way you like them or being changed the way you want them? Or are you focused on loving others well and being effective in reaching out as a church? Are you regularly praying for your church leaders? If you don't know it, out at the Welcome Center, we have something called our weekly prayer sheet. That gets posted on our Facebook internal group, and it gets uh, emailed to our prayer list. So those are all things that you can either pick up or you can sign up for. But we would love to have you praying for our church, praying for our ministries on a regular basis. 
So those are ways that you can learn more about those things. When you join a church, you are asking for help to grow and to mature as a follower of Jesus Christ. You're recognizing that you shouldn't and can't go it alone. You're submitting to the authority of church leadership to help teach and to guide you in your faith. And it's not a bossy, hey, do this, do this, do that. It's how can we help you grow? What can we do to encourage you? You have lots of brothers and sisters who want to encourage and build you up. Jesus told his disciples that they would need each other after he returned to heaven. So don't try to keep going it alone. God knows that we can accomplish so much more for his kingdom when we strive together as a church family. Mark's going to come. We're going to sing a a great closing song together. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you for this morning that we could be together. Thank you for the safety and getting those that are here with us. Thank you for our tech team getting our service online so that others who couldn't make it will still be able to uh, listen and, and be part of the service and worship and singing. I thank you, Father, for not only the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ, for our salvation, but thank you for your gift of Jesus as the head of the church. Thank you for giving us instructions about how to function as a church, to be baptized, to be disciple, and to help people grow and follow you. And I thank you, Lord, for this local church that has been faithful for so many years in preaching and teaching the gospel. And I pray that you'd help us continue to do that for many more years, to be faithful in sharing you with our community and to build up your members into a body. May the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of his Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. In the name of Jesus, the founder and the head of the body, the church, I pray. Amen.